City. It's your man, Big Pat, the voice of your Charlotte Hornets. And you're listening to the All Hornets Podcast Network, presented by Sports Illustrated. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, Quick strategic thinking is crucial, and with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown, and through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Draft Show episode two is back for another week, another episode. Chase is joining me. Chase, how was your week going? It was going very well. I'm excited to be back in the seat here for another episode of the Draft Show. Absolutely. And we, we're recording this uh, on the eve of the NFL Draft, which will be which will be an interesting watch. I'm sure many fans are, are going to be enjoying this. And we're, we're probably going to be publishing this on Saturday to give the, uh, you know, give the NFL Draft a little bit of breathing room. We know you only got so much podcast audio time in your life and you're probably going to want to be hearing about Bryce Young and the Panthers uh, but on, on mostly by Friday. But um, today's show, uh, it's going to be a fun one, something that we've not done before on the draft show. But we are going to be talking about, we, we're getting to the big guys now, Chase. We're talking about Victor, Scoot, Cam Whitmore, Jarris Walker, Brandon Miller, the Thompson twins. We're, we're getting into the big names. This is you know going to be one of the episodes. This is one of, one of the key ones you want to be listening to. And we're going to be debating the pros and the cons of each guy. Um, But which side we debate on is going to be decided by a coin flip, right? So when you hear this noise, that will be us flipping the coin to figure out who is going to debate what. And we do not know what we're going to be arguing yet. We're going to be finding this out live on air. Um, So I'm going to be heads. Chase is going to be tails. Whoever wins the coin flip gets to decide which side of the argument that they get to uh, debate on. 
Um, so that's how it's going to work. I mentioned the guys that we're going to cover, the, basically the kind of consensus top six in the draft. And we're pretty much going to get straight into it. And we're going to be talking about both their strengths and weaknesses on both sides. Also looking at some NBA comps for like both pro, like good comps and maybe not so good comps. And then also sp- speaking specifically, how would these guys fit with the Hornets? Uh, which is, you know, that's what you want, guys want to come to our show for. This is where we are going to be looking at everything with the Hornets lens, not just talking generic draft content. So first up, we're going to start the top. We're going to start Victor Wembanyama. So let's, uh, should we go ahead and flip the coin here? Anything else you want to add before we start, Chase? I don't think so. Let's get into it. Flip the coin. Flip the coin. Okay. Uh, it has come up as tails. So Chase, it is your pick first up. Uh, which side of the Victor debate do you want to argue? Uh, yeah, I think I'm going to go with the pros for Victor Old. Weminyama. I'll mm-hmm. be honest, there might be more pros than cons with uh, a 7'4 big man that can shoot, you know, James Harden runners from 26 feet away from the basket. It's just going out on a limb with that one. But yeah, I we'll mean, see. he... We'll see. I guess that's true. We'll see. We'll see. But I mean, he right now, clearly the highest upside player in the draft, one of the highest upside prospects that has ever entered the NBA draft. Uh, He is a 19 year old. He's only seven foot four. He's 230 pounds. Obviously the slight frame, but he's not skinny. I would not say that he's, you know, a frail seven foot four. He's just a big, long dude that can really cover some ground. And that is a extremely interesting skill package that he has. He moves like a guard while being bigger than nearly everyone that he's ever going to play against. Uh, He, like I said, he has range that extends well beyond the three point line, both off the dribble, off the catch. Uh, He is a great ball handler for his size. He can get to the rim. Everybody by now has probably seen the highlight uh, of him from a couple weeks ago where he takes a three misses it. Uh, takes like two steps to jump to the, get to the rim and then jumps and put back dunks his own rebound with one hand. It is like literally an alien basketball highlight, like something that very few people are physically capable of doing, much less like actually have the the mental capa- like capability to realize that they can do that in such a short amount of time. And he, he just does so many special things on the court uh, as such a young age that there, I mean, there's no possible chance that anyone else gets picked number one. We've known that for a long time. Uh, and I mean, I just hope that his career can pan out in the way that it seems like it's going to right now. Because if, if he does, like he has the, the instincts on both ends to be a perennial all-NBA MVP candidate, like easily one of the best players in the league. To basically just think Giannis, but a little bit bigger, a little bit slighter, but significantly more skilled with the ball and much better shooter and touch and all that. So, And and how do you think he fits specifically with the Hornets? Where do you think he would slot into the team? I think he would be a perfect four next to Mark Williams. The Mark Williams could be like your drop coverage big. You could keep Victor Weminyama, you know, in, as more of like a help side, like weak side rim protector, allow him to use that length and athleticism and instincts to just crush weak side blocks and just his size and his ability to cover ground makes him basically an impossible player to get, you know, like skip passes over to the corner. So if he's de- defending a guy in the corner, you're pretty much just not going to get the ball to that player unless you're one pass away. So he really just would change 
the dimensions of this Hornets defense, which already improved a ton over the end of the year. And you would essentially just be adding presumably one of the best young rim protectors in the game to that lineup, along with another one of the best young, you know, interior base centers in the mm-hmm. game. Williams, Mark so. Williams, Victor Wembanyama. That, I mean, that is a, a scary, it, pre- I mean, you just seen with, a version of that, right? Like with Evan Mobley, Jarrett Allen, I, I know different, but like, yeah. it'd be like a, su- a souped up version of that like yeah. significantly yeah and the cleveland were i mean they were a top six defense this year they were they're were flirting with top five all season so um okay well you, you put together a compelling argument however and this is this is the most negative you're going to hear on any podcast about victor women Yama between now and june 22nd but here we go victor women Yama, plays a kind of pickup style of basketball. Like if you look at Synergy, 29% of his shots come as low quality or a just low quality. And he's just been able to like get away with awful decisions this year on the most part, like taking whatever shot he wants. And on top of that, you talk about the one for threes, which yeah, the highlights look great, but he's shooting 30% from three. Um, he's taken some very questionable shots and he, he's not a good shooter yet. Like I don't think he will be an efficient shooting player in the NBA next year. Let's also not forget about all the injury issues. Seven foot four, like it's just guaranteed. He is going to have foot problems, knee issues. If he does, they'll probably be slower to heal. Um, I've got real concerns about anyone just of that size, no matter how fluid they are, how light on the feet, about someone potentially picking up injuries long-term. And I know you said he's not skinny, which I wouldn't say he's not like stick-like, but he does lack strength. And he is more of a power forward right now. He does he tries to avoid through contact, a lot of fadeaways, um, doesn't always kind of initiate contact. And the NBA is going to be a more physical league for him. Like we've we'll see him playing against bigger guys. Like in the French league, you look at the guys, he's playing against like six for eight centers. Yes, sometimes you get those in the NBA, but those six for eight centers can normally like spread the floor and do a bunch of other stuff. In, in the NBA, he's been going up against guys like Mark Williams, guys like Walker Kessler, who have the size and length to be able to compete with him. And I don't know if we've really seen him do that yet. I think on defense, he just camps in the paint. Like, he he doesn't do a lot of switch defending. So And I agree with you. Like I think he would probably would play power forward for Charlotte. But we've not seen him guard guys on the perimeter all that much in France this year. He is just basically camped in the lane and waiting for guys to drive in on him. And I think NBA defensive systems are going to be a lot more complicated than that. I'm, I'm not saying he can't, but it's going to be a struggle to, you know, we've not seen him do that before. Um, double teams, it is a struggle right now. You look, watch him post up, like double teams, he's very turnover prone. Of all the strength that he has on both sides of the floor, you wouldn't necessarily like say that playmaking is a massive one. And if he's getting doubled all the time, which I imagine teams are going to do because of his mismatch potential, He's got to be able to play through that. And it might come. It might. But again, I've seen players at a higher level in college who've been able to do that better so far this year than I've seen with Victor Wimbanyama. Um, In terms of how he fits with Charlotte, I think you obviously have P.J. Washington, Miles Bridges, probably going to be playing power forward, small forward. You know, it's pretty clear that he is a good fit. That's not. That's just going to be one that I'm going to struggle to argue against. The one thing I will say is I don't know if he'll be like a massively winning player next year. And this Charlotte Hornets team has pressure to win. I, You know, he is still uh, a theory player with a lot of tantalizing tools. And he has helped this French team, I'll admit, go from like 
a bottom team in France to, I think, like top of the league this year. So I know that is against me in my argument, but the NBA is a different level of competition. And I don't know if he's going to be an efficient offensive player yet. Um, so like, if you think like the worst case scenario here, what does it, what does it look like if all these things go wrong? And the name I kind of came to is like a Chris Stapps Porzingis. Good shot blocker, good shooter, has some injury issues, probably quite, hasn't quite reached the potential I think some people thought he might have. So that is my argument against Victor Wembanyama for the number one pick and for the Shell Hornets. I must say, it's more compelling than I thought it was going to be, but I'm not convinced. Uh, I, th- <laughs> and I, I know you probably aren't even convinced fully of your own argument yourself because I find it hard to believe that you'd pass be able to pass up on Victor Wembanyama in Charlotte if uh, that opportunity came. Absolutely fast, no chance. Yeah. No chance at all. all. All my negative points are like things that we haven't seen yet. Right. It, no, I, exactly. And they're all things that he's more than capable of and he's just super young. And, you know, so you, you're kind of saying like, well, you've not shown it me. But like a lot of guys who are that young at that age with those tools haven't shown a lot of things. And he's playing like grown man basketball as well, right? He's not in college. He's playing against pros. He's playing against like NBA caliber guys um, on, on his team and against other teams. So, you know, it is a higher level of competition than, than did one, in my opinion. Oh, absolutely. I was just going to say, like, to list off, like, some of the players that he plays with on his team, like, Tremont Waters is his point guard. Played in the NBA, was on two ways for a few years, has now with him. Hugo Basson is on that team as well. He was drafted last year uh, by the Pacers, I believe, hold his rights. Don't hold me to that one. But he, he clearly an NBA talent as well. Aaron Henry played in the G League. Anzez Pashenix played in the G- NBA for a couple of years. Give me uh, the fun well, name. I know you've got the fun name down there. No, I, 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 for anybody that has not seen what James is referring to, I'm just going to go to proballers.com and no. search Victor Wembanyama. Give the and people look, what they look, want, Chase. Look at the ras- roster and you will find that there is a man named Steve Ho You Fat on <laughs> the uh, Balon Level A Metropolitans 92. Uh, along with Bilal Koulibaly, who is also... Steve, Steve is the best like, name to go with, like, how you know. And it's, it's, it's Steve. Uh, Steve, Steve. With, with two E's, too, which I actually really like. I've literally never seen that before in my life. And I, I feel I like that, that's definitely a, a unique uh, way to spell Steve. but And also the unique last name. But <laughs> that stands for itself. But, I mean, along with all those guys, there's Bilal Koulibaly, too. He's going to be picked in the draft this year. Like, he plays with a bunch of very talented players. And he is far and away like the most talented. And, you know, he does, he does make bad decisions. He's only a 30.4% three-point shooter this year. And this, I mean, basically of any season that he's been scoring and shooting with any real volume, this is by far the highest percentage that he has shot from three. Last year, he was a 26% shooter from three with Asvel. Yeah. Uh, and the year, year before that with uh, Nanterre and his U21 team, he only shot 10% is- from three. So. He he does have real shooting touch, and the oh, reason his so, percentages so are so bad. Touch. The reason percentages are so bad is because of his shot selection. Yeah. and I just he, don't he think... know, and he knows he can get off any type of shot he wants. Yeah, like like if he were to be with Steve Clifford in Charlotte, I, I don't think Steve Clifford is like. I, I sorry, I do think Steve Clifford is not letting him get away with his shots. Like he is mm-hmm. some of the some of these threes that he takes. It's like right, okay. I mean, this is like I say it's pickup stuff. It's like you're playing at your local gym with your friends. And when you're like in a winning pressure environment, 
I don't think him doing some of that stuff, like some of the other vets on your team would be looking over you as an 18 year old going like, dude, you need to earn it before you start taking those shots. I don't care who you are. And he's going to have every single person going at him from day one because of his reputation. Most hyped player in the draft. I mean, since Zion, he was probably the last guy I think had this buzz. Um, you know, he's going to have a target on his back. That's for sure. Oh, he absolutely is. Uh, I, I mean, I'm very excited to see how that goes for him, like in his first month in the NBA, just how teams defend him and how he yeah. responds to that level of what I assume will be much more physical, like in your face style defense than yeah. what he's been playing against so far. But should we move on to the Let's do it. number two? Screw Henderson. Consensus, Let's presumed. Flip the old coin right. here and find out what's going to happen. Okay. I mean, obviously, the, the coin you can hear flipping isn't our real coin, but we do have a coin here, which you are flipping as we go. Uh, Chase, you've won again here. It is tails, so you get to pick which side of the argument you want to go for Scoot Henderson. Oh, it is my lucky day. I'm definitely going to go with the positive side, the pro argue the pros for Scoot again. So I'm going to argue the, the pros for my number one, number two players on my big board here. Worked out well for you. It's definitely worked out well for me. <clears throat> Scoot Henderson, I mean, in most years, that is probably a number one pick, if not like at least in the conversation for number one in a non Victor Wembanyama draft or non Victor Wembanyama draft. Just an insanely athletic guard with like top end burst of speed, maybe like one of the most athletic players under probably 6'4, six, 6'5 six, to enter the league since. John Morant, like Derrick Rose, John Wall, like he he is legitimately on those the level of those guys as an athlete. He can create tons of advantages offensively. As a result, he gets to his spot off of movement. He is obviously just a complete monster in transition. Uh, he's actually a pretty decent player just off of a standstill. Like he if he can catch the ball while he's not moving, that first step that he takes is faster than probably nearly any player that I've seen as a prospect before at, at his age, again, only 19 years old. He's at now played two seasons in the G league. So he's played two years of professional basketball. And in that time, uh, he had the, obviously the efficiency numbers come and go because he's so young playing against guys that at sometimes are, you know, 10 to 15 years older than he is. Uh, his shooting efficiency is probably the biggest knock on him right now, but with the way that he gets to the rim, I don't know if it's going to be a huge problem for him right away. Like there are going to be very few people. And there, this is a, something that there are a couple guys in this class that I actually think might, this might apply to. There's just going to be so few people that can stay in front of them that it's not going to be as big of an issue as it is for a lot of other players that aren't like quite literally one of the most athletic players in the league. Like I think Scoot Henderson is probably going to be when he gets into the league. Especially 60 in the NBA. In the NBA, like this is the everyone thinks the level of players higher in the NBA, which it is. But you speak to any NBA player, it is easier to score in the NBA than any other league in the world because of the rules, because of the spacing, the pace of play. It, it's just, it, I know it's counterintuitive, but I, I do agree with you right there. It is going to be easier for him to get to the rim in the NBA than it was in the G League last year. No question. Yeah, for sure. And when he does get to the rim, 60% shooter at the rim in the regular season this year. And that was when in the G League. So for anybody that doesn't know, the G League season is split up between the Showcase Cup at the beginning of the year and a 32-game regular season that starts after Christmas. Uh, so if you go on the stats page, you have to like kind of combine those two to get like his full 2022-23 season percentages. 
but in the regular season, which is a 32 game sample where he was actually hampered with a couple injuries, I believe he had an ankle injury and he also broke his nose. So he was definitely not at his peak performance uh, for most of this regular season, but he was a 60% shooter at the rim, 52% shooter from five to nine feet. So basically like floater runner range. Uh, he has a really nice looking mid range jumper where he shoots about 42%, which isn't fantastic, but it's actually, it's pretty good for, especially for a player his age that is also shooting conversely under 30% from three. Um, but I think a lot of that is more so just due to maybe he, he isn't quite as comfortable, I guess, taking threes right now as he is going to the rim because he really can get to the rim on anybody and he can finish over big men. He can finish through guys. He can, you know, contort his body and finish around guys. He's a great like touch finisher, despite being able to just out athleticism people all the time. He still is extremely skilled. So I have a, I have pretty strong confidence in that coming around eventually. Plus he shot 76% from the free throw line. So I don't think that'll be an issue. Also averaged 6.8 assists to three and a half turnovers in the G league. Again, as a 19 year old in a league that is much faster paced, the fastest paced team in the NBA this year, uh, I was looking this up for work a while back, actually would have been like the 11th fastest team in the G league. So significantly more possessions by virtue, significantly more turnovers. He only averaged three and a half as a teenager in the G league in his second season, which he is clearly the focal point of this ignite team played 30 and a half minutes a game, 16, five and seven with a steal. Like I, I, if Wemby weren't in this class, people would be just absolutely like gushing over scoot in the pre-draft process. I think it, it actually kind of stinks a little bit that he's not fully getting like this, you know, the, pre-draft hype that he probably would have gotten like last year or especially next year. But I mean, going number two in the NBA draft is definitely not a, a bad thing. It's nothing to frown about. I'm sure. And and in terms of his fit in Charlotte and any kind of pro comparisons that you think are out there. Hmm. I see. I do kind of like maybe Derek, Derek Rose might be the closest one. I've, I have kind of struggled with comparisons for him because I think the biggest argument against him, I'm curious, I'm, curious to see what you think about this too is that while I do think he would fit perfectly in Charlotte despite this problem because LaMelo is so big and he can he's six seven and he can be the initiator there are very few extremely successful NBA teams that like make really deep playoff runs consistently that a player that like is six three or under which Scoot is listed at six two but Mm. he looks like he might be about he looks like he might be six three but he's definitely not like six five or six six or anything like that like has really a like advantageous positional size. There aren't that many teams that make deep playoff runs with players that small as their best player. I mean, maybe the Memphis Grizzlies is the only real example of that. Like right now, uh, every other team has a player that's six, eight or above as their, you know, best player guy that they rely on uh, is like their offensive initiator. So that is the, the one thing against scoot, but in Charlotte, that's not a problem because LaMelo is six foot seven uh, you know, hopefully in their prime, both of these guys are good defenders, which I didn't talk about Scoot's defense at all, but he is like a dog defender. Like he plays so hard and puts in a ton of effort. He's really good on the ball right now. Not as great as of like a team defender and in rotation and stuff. But again, he's a teenager. So that type of thing, very rarely is that a selling point for a draft prospect um, that is like an offensive player or an offensive prospect. But I mean, Scoot's fit in Charlotte, again, like Wemby, is nearly perfect. Next to LaMelo, having a guy that could get to the rim that easily. LaMelo can space the floor. Both of them are good playmakers. I I think both of them will be good defenders or at least above average defenders in their prime. 
it it would just, it would be another perfect fit. It'd be a great backcourt mate as opposed to Victor Romanyama being like the perfect fit in the front court. So it, it's interesting if you look at the the top point guards in the NBA right now. You have Luca, who was like, what well, he ended up going number three. He, argument if he's a point guard. You had Steph, who was a top five pick. Dame Lillard was like five or six. Shea was late lottery. Jar was number two overall pick. Um, you don't get many number one overall pick point guards. Like I think John Wall, Kyrie Irving are the last two, I want to yeah. say. <clears throat> yeah, them um, two and Derek Rose are really like the last three. Yeah. And that, you like... know, it's it's been a bit like since those picks, right? Uh, it's been a bit of time. The NBA hasn't really yeah, so gone two, two of those players aren't even in the league anymore. So I mean yeah. that that's not necessarily an argument in favor of, of Scoot. Okay. So on the con side for Scoot Henderson, can he definitely shoot at an efficient level in the NBA? Uh, he is a low volume three-point shooter. The percentages wasn't, weren't great. And it's always been a weakness in his game. It's not like he's had a down year here. You know, even going back to high school, his first year at Ignite, that was the big thing he needed to work on. And like, that is definitely a concern. If you are 6'2", and you aren't a knockdown shooter in the NBA, you've got to be damn good at some other skills for you to be able to be a you know a, a star level player. Um, you mentioned about the defense. I agree, there have been flashes of like really exciting defense, but it has been pretty inconsistent this year. I mean, I remember one game and I made a bunch of notes on this when I was watching him. Emmanuel Mudiay, who is now out of the league and has been for a while, abused him all game. I mean, he was like jumping at pump fakes for three-point shots for Emmanuel Mudiay, and you're like, Scoot, that, Moudier hasn't been able to shoot since he came into the league. That's why he's not in the league. What are you doing jumping at pump fakes and letting him get into the paint, which is where he can you know, make damage? Um, you know, has he made much progress over the last two seasons? I, I know there was a bunch of buzz earlier in the year, and he did look great in that game against Victor Wembanyama in Vegas. I, I can't argue against that. But if you look at the season as a whole, like he's definitely kind of took a bit of a jump as a mid-range jump shooter, but I don't think he has like massively improved other areas of his play, or at least it's not coming through that strongly from the play on the court this year. I also have some questions about the G League Ignite translation so far. I mean, the best guy is probably Jalen Green, um, who is like, you know, had a good individual seasons, but it's probably struggled to like really impact winning all that much. And he's been in a strange situation in Houston. But after that, you got Kaminga, Isaiah Todd, Jaden Hardy, who had moments this year. Marjan Beauchamp, like none of those guys have really come into the NBA as no-brainer this can be the best guy on your team, depending on what you think of Jalen Green. I mean, he's put up a lot of points. That's definitely a thing, but um, there's been some big issues as a playmaker, big issues on defense for Jalen Green. So, and I, I like, if you compare his stats, I mean, you went through his G League stats, I don't need to, but his field goal percentage is 43%, three-point field goal percentage for the season, I think was at 27.5%. His assist to turnover ratio is under two to one, which again, if you're talking about a six foot two guy who's in a knockdown shooter and his assist to turnover ratio is is like not even a like a massive plus, it's a little bit of a concern there. Like, what is your what is your key skill here? You're not a fantastic, you know, unbelievable playmaker. Although I, I actually think he's very good, and the, the turnover is a little bit to do with his teammates. But I'm playing devil's advocate here, and you look at like the G League. Bryce McGowan's last year, 22 points, four rebounds, four assists. Scoot was 17 points, six assists, five rebounds. I mean, you look at Bryce, G League stats, what do they mean? (laughs) 
it's, you know, we see so many guys put up big numbers in the G League and Scoot didn't necessarily dominate. I didn't think as much as maybe people wanted. So for his fit, you know, next to Lamella Ball, it's a risk because you have to put the ball in Scoot's hands because he is not the off-ball shooter that Lamella is. And then you are taking the ball out of your all-star hands. And yes, you can say, well, they, they split ball handling. I know, but let's just, it very rarely works having those two point guards, traditional point guards, as the the co-best players in the team. You see it right now with Jonathan Murray and Trey Young. We saw it with Russell Westbrook and Chris Paul. We saw it in years in Phoenix where they had uh, Eric Bledsoe, uh, Isaiah Thomas, Goran Dragic. It just, they will say all the right things. They'll have games where it looks great. But when you talk about asset management, it's good to have different varied, versatile skills. And having two guards who both want the ball, I do worry you wouldn't get the best out of either of the players. So my kind of comp, like for like a my, the low-end comp I've got here is like a Kyle Lowry, who's like thick, strong, um, has some very good successful seasons, will be an all-star. And I'd probably say like more like late career Kyle Lowry as well. Um, but isn't necessarily like that efficient enough to be that kind of go-to obvious leader for you know five to ten years on a team by himself so that's my that's my anti-scoot argument yeah see i i the thing that i really go back to is i it's really tough like you like you said it's just hard to be that you know small not that he's small but he is he doesn't necessarily have size for a guard he's not short He's, but, he's got he's, he's very thick. He's got incredibly huge hands, which makes him more physically imposing than anyone who's probably been 6'2 in NBA history. But you still are only 6'2. I know he's got a 6'9 wingspan, but you are still 6'2 closing out to shooters. You're 6'2 and you switched on to someone. that You can't just be like, well, he's got a 6'9 wingspan and he's strong, so it's, it's not an issue anymore. It will pose a challenge to him, seeing over defences, stuff like that, it will be something you have to be aware of. All right, on to number three. On to number three, Brandon Miller. Let's flip the coin. Okay, heads, I finally get to pick. And this has worked out well for me now because I have Brandon Miller number two on my board. So I'm going to go with the pros here. And um, I'll I'll go first here. Uh, So Brandon Miller... Uh, like I mentioned, currently my second ranked player ahead of Scoot Henderson. He is a six foot nine wing with exceptional size. And I just think that's where the value is in the NBA right now. Six foot nine wings. His defense, the most underrated in the, in the draft, in my opinion. I think he's an excellent defender. And pair that with fantastic three-point shot making. And I think he's got some really exciting playmaking talent. You're talking about a guy who can shoot, a guy who can pass the guy can defend all to I think a an excellent level that for me a six foot nine is someone who I want to invest in um he's just a modern star for me like he has the issue of rim finishing which I have no doubt you're going to mention uh but he has improved on that as the year has gone on and he's so versatile and can help in so many other ways even if that's never a massive strength I think that can still be something that like he can work around and again I think it will be less exposed in the NBA um, in high school, he was known as like a mid-range go-to scorer, which isn't really something we saw at Alabama, but that was more down to the system where it was like a lot of threes. Um, and like, we didn't see that ISO game in the mid-range as much, but it is something that is definitely there 
So if you're worried about his like go-to scoring ability, I, I wouldn't worry too much. I think it's definitely something to tap into. Now, you could add this as a negative, but he played under scrutiny all year because of the off-the-court issues. Um, and for the big game where everyone was saying he should be suspended, he went for 41 points against Gigi Jackson, uh, which On the, the crowd... Road. In a hostile environment. Oh, yeah. Uh, the, probably the most environment. hostile environment any single player played in this year and freaking owned it, which I, I can understand you say, well, like the off-court stuff is a concern. I get that. But if you park that, you're talking about someone who's got serious mental strength to battle through that, which I think when you get into high-stakes playoff situations, you've got someone there who's played in hostile environments and he's come good. I think he fits next to Lamelo perfectly. The Hornets were a terrible offense this year. Um, a terrible three-point shooting team definitely helps with that. Um, and like, I think you can also use Lamelo off ball a little bit with him because I think he really has some upside as a playmaker. So overall, uh, I absolutely love Brandon Miller. Um, I have him as like a, a a kind of a Brandon Ingram, but with early Paul George defense is my like best outcome. Um, so like, I mean, if you think, I don't know, I'm putting that as a, a Paul George, Brandon Ingram hybrid player, um, who I think could be massively impactful on both ends and can carry teams offensively as well. So, and I'm, I don't mean to come at this from too negative of a side. Uh, I feel, I, I feel like a similar to how you must've felt when you had to argue against Scoot and Wemby. Uh, cause I do think Brandon Miller is going to be a good NBA player. I would absolutely draft him. We'd love to have him in a Hornets uniform. He's still top five on my big board. But for these purposes, I do have like pretty significant concerns about, like you said, his ability to separate from defenders, uh, create space with, as a ball handler to get his shots off, uh, off the dribble. Uh, and I don't necessarily think that that's going to get better in the NBA, even though, Obviously, the spacing will help him a lot, and the, a, a, you're not really allowed to play defense in the, in the NBA quite as much anymore as you are in college. But the reason I say that is, for one, you, improving your separation ability and your like athleticism in that facet is like pretty difficult. You, anybody can like get stronger or lose weight, or you know work on their you know work on their core and get a stronger lower body and stuff, so they can hold their ground a little better, but like that type of it, like burst and explosiveness, like to create space and, you know, be able to push off and uh, allow yourself some room to shoot is really hard to like improve on as you get older. And I'm not really sure that that would necessarily like help him either <clears throat> because he's also, I feel like he uses that like kind of lack of explosiveness necessarily and that like to just shoot over players like that's why his touch is so beneficial and that's kind of how it's gotten to the point that it is like when he like you said he actually is a pretty good mid-range scorer like he's not like an iso mid-range scorer but if he can catch the ball like any shot that he would get off the catch in the mid-range or anything like that or just like off of one or two dribbles he's a very good shooter he can shoot from literally any spot on the court but in the nba players that are like just shooters and don't necessarily get to the rim as well uh, or aren't necessarily able to be like number one option creators. And in top 50 quality games this year, uh, this is per Bart Torvik stats page, 
he only shot 38 and a half percent from inside the arc. So against any team that is top 50 rated in the Bart Torvik system, he was a significantly below 40% sh- uh, finisher inside the arc. And in, com- in conference games, he actually shot 62%. Um, so he did finish the year a little stronger than he started. But the higher the competition level, the more he struggled. And I'm not, I, you, got, you have to rule March Madness out of it because he had a groin injury during that. Uh, during the tournament that obviously would have hampered any sort of ability to, you know, move around and create space and stuff like that, which he already struggles with anyway. But even throughout the year, like against high level competition, like that wasn't, those weren't necessarily like all of his best games. Uh, Like he played by his standards. Anyway, he played like fairly poorly against UConn uh, in November. It was like their fifth or sixth game of the season, I think. Uh, he had a, a pretty bad game against Tennessee as well. Like uh, obviously the tournament game against San Diego state is a, was a bad game too. But like I said, that one was a little bit uh, ex- more, more so excusable than the other ones. But I just think anytime he really gets up against like NBA level talent, it kind of shows itself more so than it does anyway, which I, it's just a, it's just quite a red flag for me when a player that is that big, isn't like, as fluid or like twitchy and athletic and just like powerful overall as like wing scores like Jason Tatum or Paul George or some of the guys that he gets compared to. I think in my eyes, he's much closer to like someone like Chris Middleton, but with like a little bit more size, which is more of an all-star player than an all NBA player. Like, and that's where for me, he goes from like the two or three range to like four or five or six. Look, I think the the finishing at the rim is definitely a concern. I do like that it got better in the year. I like the fact that he is, you know, he able to improve that because I think that shows that he adapts and he learns, which is which is great. Um, I will say, like the, the the twitchiness and the bursty stuff. I agree, he's not. But I also just don't know how important that is for like small forward, power forward guys. Like you look at, I wouldn't describe. Jimmy Butler right now as a as an explosive as an explosive player like he's he's incredibly skilled and like we just watched him have probably one of the most historical runs in postseason history but like Kawhi Leonard late career LeBron James even like Jason Tatum and late career DeMar DeRozan Brandon Ingram look at the top small forwards in the game they're not like all these like crazy LeBron James 2010 caliber athletes, you know, where they just explode at the rim. Um, so the athleticism, I'm not so much concerned about, but I, I do concede on the, you know, the the ability to finish at the rim. For me, that's the, the big issue. And the competition level, um, you know, it's a really hard stick to measure people against because I think you, we don't do that with a lot of other guys in the, in the draft. And, for guys who play in different leagues and play in the G League, we don't go and look at the matchup data for Scoot Henderson against the top 25% of G League teams and what that looks like. So um, I think he's probably under more of a microscope because there are some high-profile moments. Um, but, I'm yeah, I'm not too too concerned about that. Okay. Yeah, and I, I mean, I, I my last point, I think that is – I don't think any of what you said is wrong, but I just think that in this class, especially like those types of things are like, that is just what drops him from, from two to, or three to, you know, four or five for me. Like those are the, the difference between these guys is so small and that 
ability is one of the more important things that makes these like big shooting, scoring, initiating wings like what they are. So I, it's I, I think he's going to be very good, and his fit with the Hornets is really really good. Also, like he doesn't need to be like some dynamic like wing scorer because in theory the Hornets have multiple other score not just wing scorers but scores at every other position so he can take advantage of that shooting and leverage that in a significantly greater way than he would be if he were drafted you know one or two or three and was basically like that team's like second or best young player on the team so that's my my only drawback I, I still I, I agree with everything you said for the pros like he's very he's very very good but there's just yeah. a couple of things that drop him down a little bit Okay, let's move on to the. I'd say like the next tier of guys in some in some ways because I think those top three, well, probably not for you, but like consensus wise, those three feel like they will go in the top three in some order at the moment. But we're going to move on to the last set of guys. Going to be Cam Whitmore, Jarris Walker, and the Thompson twins. We might go through these a little bit quicker. We you know we want to spend some extra time on those big names at the top, so we'll go through these a little bit quicker. Let's move on to Cam Whitmore number. Uh, number four next let's have a look let's flip the coin and chase it is your call again you you won three out of four of these now um over to you i think i know what you're gonna do here because i know you like cam but on to you yeah no i mean i'm definitely the cam whitmore fan uh on this podcast here just like absurdly powerful athlete with ideal frame positional size for an nba wing slash forward it was great coordination and footwork uh and gather steps and transition like to where he can catch the ball take one or two clean steps and just absolutely explode towards the rim he is a great leaper he's super strong had very great like flexibility for cuts and stuff like that in transition he makes very quick like decisions on when to you know bolt towards the rim or flare out to a three-point line he needs to develop his second level scoring but he's still a decent shooter from deep already and the combination of athleticism and shot creation that he has is just it, it, it's maybe not, not equaled by very much very many players in this class, especially at the top of the draft. Like typically, I mean, Brandon Miller, great shooter. He doesn't have the separation and creation ability that Cam Whitmore has. But Cam shot 34% or 34.3% from three this year, reasonable volume. He took 108 attempts while he missed the first 10 games of this, or I think he missed the first five, like five games of the season with a wrist injury. Uh, and then he came back, played well, pretty much instantly. Uh, he improved his shooting per se. He ended up the year at 34 and percent after starting a little bit poor from the year or in the year from three point line. He wanted a pretty deep, bad stretch in December that, made a lot of people sour on him a little bit i think but improved a ton as the year went on especially defensively it, I, like you said for brandon miller i don't think this is like one of the most underrated skills in the draft or something but i think for cam especially his defense is extremely underrated he is like a legitimately disruptive on ball defender at times he has some great like two-handed like digs as a help defender to like pry the ball loose he has a bunch of flashes on that end which again you'd like it to be more consistent but He's going to be, he's one of the younger players in this draft. Also played on one of the worst teams, which isn't necessarily an excuse, but it definitely contributes to things like that and like team defense and things that are more oriented around all five guys being on the same page rather than 
someone just missing shots or not being able to create space or not being a good passer or something like that. Uh, and he does need to add more as a passer as well. Uh, he, he's going to uh, get a lot of flat. That's for sure. Yeah. For B I think he, I think would have the lowest um, assist rate of any wing picked in the lottery, like of all time or something like that. I think yep. uh, he had 19 assists. It. Yeah. Yeah. He had 19 assists this season uh, and 14, 42 turnovers. Uh, but in his multi assist games, uh, which were there were six of which, uh, again, that's not a super Woo-hoo! high standard. Have two assists in a game, uh, but any of those games, you could, he he does see the floor well, and he does have like passing skill. Like he doesn't, he's not a. I wouldn't say he's you know has no court vision or is like not geared towards being a playmaker and is like not a willing passer. Like I don't think that's the problem at all. I just don't think he's really been able to like unlock that part of his game yet. Uh, there was a game against. Uh, pen that he was playing he made a bunch of nice passes in that game that were just like within the offense and didn't end in assists i think he finished that game with two assists uh because i watched that one pretty recently um and i actually came away a little bit surprised i was like i even though he didn't end the the year with very many assists i don't think him being a part of the offense was like in any he wasn't like a ball stopper in any way really like he didn't negatively impact his team like with his you know, lack of assist production necessarily. Obviously, it would have helped to have more of them, but it wasn't the reason why they weren't winning games or anything like that. So, I mean, I think if he can just start taking advantage of the passing lanes and angles that he creates with that athleticism, which we've mentioned this multiple times, the spacing in the NBA allows players so many more, you know, avenues for that type of thing and the ability to create those lanes and angles than they are able to in college. The court is smaller, less people can shoot. Players are, you know, bigs are bigger and stay closer to the rim and guards are fit quicker and stay closer to the perimeter. Uh, in the NBA, I think the way that he goes about his offense is going to be much different. Uh, he can he can get to the rim. He can create shots. If he can start taking advantage of those passing lanes uh, and just keep making those powerful drives to the rim, he's going to have a ton of gravity as like a shot-creating wing. I think he's like an all-star in the making if, if that works out properly and he's like the, the ideal like upside bet outside of the top three i think in this class i'm gonna i'm gonna break character for a second and say that i you reading about the situation and skill set for cam whitmore just gave me massive Jalen brown vibes coming out of cal like he was a great athlete who had tunnel vision but showed ability to shoot but kind of like struggled to to pass the ball at all and was out of control at times but definitely had potential to rim and like in terms of like actually like how they play style in the NBA right now, like that's just that was a guy that I was like, hmm, that really made me think about it a little bit. Um, okay, I don't even need to uh, put on much of a mask here for this one because you know I'm not a big Cam Whitmore guy. I will say I have watched more tapes since last time we spoke about it. Um, I think last time we spoke, he was like 12, 13th on my board. He probably has moved up to like nine eight something in that range but it's still like a way, a way down here um look the passing i just disagree i i think he is just someone who never ever drives to make a pass i, I just think he is has one thing in his mind which is i want to get to my step back or i want to attack the rim and that is it um i think he's a really low basketball iq player on both ends of the floor um now his physical gifts and his skills are so high that that might just not that matter that much. And he might develop that. Like he might just catch up. And then you're talking about a guy who, like you say, has got all the athleticism and the shot making in the world. 
But I do think with his shot mechanics, he shoots a really uh, slow, like soft ball. And I think there's like 54%. You mentioned on the pod of the week, 54% of his shots are self-created. But he has very slow shot mechanics. And like I saw him get blocked a couple of times of like, his, his step backs from his three-point shots. And I got some worry again, when you get to the NBA, you've got guys with even better length and even more plus wingspans. That like three-point shot might get impacted a little bit more because it is a very slow windup. Um, he certainly doesn't read where to go on offense or defense. I think it, this is partly down to the Villanova system, but he just doesn't have like a good feel to play like team basketball. Like he stands around waiting for the ball to get passed to him. He doesn't go set screens for people. He doesn't always make the right cuts. Um, he is just quite static. And I think defensively, again, this is one where I'm just going to really disagree uh, when my eyes tell me. I think it's poor, man. Like, he runs into screens so often. Like, just gets caught up on the very first screens. He gives up loads of space to shooters. Like, he was playing against Arthur Kaluma and uh, Jordan Hawkins, and he was just, like, jumping at Kaluma's pump fake, giving Hawkins, like, four or five feet when guarding him, even not out of any screen action and just giving up threes. Um, he's got the body to rebound the ball well, and he shows it on the offensive end. But like defensively, he just has moments where he switches off. And for me, like to describe someone's inactive, which is a word that I've written down, that is just a big orange flag for a top five pick level prospect. And perhaps the biggest thing is like just his handle, but well, not the biggest thing. It is a, a thing. His handle is super loose. Um, you know, he's got the strength, he's got the athleticism, he's got great shot making, but there are so many times where he's like not even being put under that much pressure by the defense and he just dribbles the ball off his leg or, or loses control. And I don't think he can always leverage his strength and his finishing enough because of that loose handle. So, yeah, I am fair to say I am further down on Cam Whitmore. Um, but yeah, I, I we just see this one differently, and that that's okay. Like, this is the way the draft goes. Some of the things that you particularly like, I particularly dislike. And he's going to be an interesting guy to track here. Yeah. I mean, we're, you don't have to agree on everything. So that, that's definitely, and you're, I mean, you're not alone. I feel like he's definitely one of the more like divisive or polarizing prospects uh, that are like consensus lottery. I feel like there are probably, there aren't too many people that have him in that like middle range. It's usually either a lot lower or like where I have him like just outside of the top three. So yeah, it'll be, it'll be interesting to see where he gets drafted. I think he has like the widest range of anybody that we're going to talk about today. Over under for Cam Whitmore draft position, like 6.5. Do you think? Uh, yeah, that's I'd probably fair. I think, I'd yeah, say around I think there. Yeah. Six or seven is probably fair. Yeah. I think. I, I Jonathan Kaminga is like my, my, uh, my comp here potentially like my bad comp like you you see all the potential in the flashes but like struggles to put it together and play that team ethos system um okay let's move on let's move straight on jaris walker um let's get the where's my 20p gone um there it is okay jaris walker it is a heads so i get to pick uh i've done negatives quite a lot i'm gonna i'm gonna do i'm gonna do pros let's uh let's look glass half full here for a little bit so jaris walker uh is a a power forward i would say mostly but can probably play some three maybe even some center in the nba depending uh out houston um headline 
NBA ready body, like super strong, incredible frame for a power forward in the NBA. Um, like played a real role at Houston, was not in a featured role like some of these other guys in the draft that we might see, was very much a role player and sacrificed a lot and, and was a big part of the Houston Cougars winning a lot of games. Um, I will say that it, IMG, if you watch his high school film, he was like a go-to player at IMG Academy, which is like one of the best high schools in the country. And he showed probably a little bit more potential, like kind of like go-to scoring, being featured and offense ability that, that he probably got to show in Houston. So I know people are going to pigeonhole him as a, as a role player type guy. There is, I think, untapped upside there that we just didn't get to see. Um, and we, I know we're throwing this kind of jargon around a lot, but I think he's probably the most underrated passer in the draft. Um, super high vision. Like they put him in the middle of zones time and time again. And he's doing no looks, one-handed left, you know, one-handed left scoop passes, just processes the game one, two, three plays ahead. And I do really do wonder, like I'd say in terms of just prospects towards the top of the draft, he is the closest guy to I could maybe comp Draymond Green to for a while. I don't think he is because there is not ever going to probably be another Draymond Green. But if you were to look through the list of lottery picks for the last decade, I don't know if you could pick out a guy who has more Draymond Green traits than Jarris Walker. Super versatile, can guard absolutely anybody, super strong body, um, has like nice touch with a good floater, has three three point potential for sure. Um, like he is, you know, for a big guy who looks like he's so physical, he's actually got a really like delicate little bit of touch there, which he displays in both the shot and with, with that floater. Um, he played some small ball center this year. And I think because of that, he could do that in the NBA. It could give Charlotte a nice small ball center option and, I could see him playing alongside PJ, Miles, um, both of those guys, one of those guys. Like He can get on the court in so many ways and could just be such like a defensive impact role player next year already. Um, he doesn't need the ball to be effective. Um, could be a great dribble handoff partner with Lamella Ball. Um, so again, like for my kind of uh, upside comps, I've got like a, a power forward Andre Iguodala to like Pascal Siakam upside um yeah i'm a big jarris fan i think last time i checked i had him fourth maybe fifth on my big board so i'm probably a little bit higher than than most in jarris yeah i i would i don't know if i've seen anybody that has him at four anyway so you might be the highest of the anybody that i've you know followed with their big board retract anyway so i mean i i too i, I do like four. that's right i have a four yeah. at the minute yeah <clears throat> So, I, I mean, I have him at seven, so I'm definitely not down on him, maybe comparatively, although I, he probably is around seven, I think, on yeah consensus boards. So, uh, I mean, it's it's unfortunate to have to argue the cons for players that you don't necessarily dislike, but... I love it because you're such a nice guy, and I know it's the name of the game. You. I don't... It, I, don't I, I know. I have no I problem playing people, but I, but I know you dislike it, so come on. No, I, let's, I don't, let's I don't like to do it, but... All right, so for what you said about the untapped potential at IMG, uh, and I do think it's actually a very positive sign that he like slid back and took a role at Houston and was willing to be, you know, step aside and contribute to winning rather than beat go to a school where he could just be the focal point, uh, especially because Houston's like a mid-major and not necessarily, you know, an NBA prospect factory, though it has risen in that regard over the last couple of years, but... Um, I do worry that 
that ability wasn't necessarily like it's not like it was you know hidden it's just that it wasn't there to the degree that you know it was in high school because while he is a very good athlete he's not like super light of foot uh like especially like as a ball handler off the dribble from the perimeter he's not like blowing by guys and finishing at the rim or anything like that um but i and i think that for bigs and this is the other thing is he's not necessarily he's not a center and he's not a, a four like strictly he's a little bit of both and for bigs that are being drafted at the top of the draft you have to be a like elite rim protector which he's very good i don't think he's elite you have to be a very good if not elite shooter i think he's good i don't think he's either one of those things stop using my scoot henderson argument against me chase it's (laughs) hey it's it's very it's honestly kind of like it literally is kind of just like the big man version of of scoots like negative argument but yeah and and another thing that i i this is like a big red probably the biggest jerris red flag for me he does not get to the line really at all. Uh, and he is, even for playing in college like and being young, he is a massive human being. He is 6'8", 220 pounds, and every bit of those 220 pounds is like pure like muscle and athleticism. Like There's no matchup that he had really, unless it was somebody that was extremely tall where he was giving up you know, size and strength or anything like that. Uh, and that ability didn't translate at all. And being able to, you know, draw contact, force contact, get to the line. Uh, he only had a 23.6 free throw rate uh, per Bart Torvik. And at the line, he shot 66.3%. So a lot of people like to use that as an indicator for three-point percentage, myself included. It's not necessarily, that's not positive. I think that that might be one that's just kind of in that middle range where it's just a wash. And then you look back at his three point percentage and it was 34.7% uh, on 101 total attempts on the season. Um, again, very good player on one of the best teams in the country. It's very rare that freshmen are so like impactful for winning, especially defensively. Uh, but I just worry that he doesn't quite have a position and isn't the like potent offensive talent to like make up for that necessarily but he's gonna be a very good defender I, there's like zero doubt in my mind of that i think i had for my for my uh con side if i had got that one i had a healthy larry nance as my comp which is like kind of a little bit like what you described there actually as you described yeah. it, i was like this really does seem to fit larry nance yeah that act that actually is like pretty yeah not a great shooter but good enough to take them sometimes i guess um yeah, but not a, four but, and a five good right passer, not quite good enough to where a team is going to be like treat you as a threat yeah yeah no that, that actually yeah that way i mean i mean people might look at larry nance now and be like oh it's that's terrible but healthy larry nance and larry nance in his prime years was like very very good especially defensively and uh, this is the glass half empty version remember so this is right, like a, right yeah you know, that's if it you know plays out poorly so right Okay, let's move on. Uh, let's do Amen Thompson next. Um, Amen Thompson, let's flip it up, see who are we go in. And it is Tails. So over to you to pick what you want to do on Amen. All right. So, I mean, this could not have worked out better for me. I'm going to get to argue the pros for my number one, Victor Womanyama, number two, Scoot Henderson, and my number three player, Amen Thompson. So 
this is not how this this was supposed to like make us argue the things that we hate right arguing no it's, no I we, yeah. like you've just freaking with completely took it the know. other way yeah, yeah. No, I, I got all of the ones that all every player that i would have wanted to argue the pros for are the ones that i actually won so this, this, this is definitely working out for me but much like scoot another insanely athletic guard um just cr- like glides off that he might be a better vertical athlete uh than scoot and much along with scoot i think would enter the league as one of the most athletic like top five or ten most athletic players in the nba uh and he is a very you know controlled finisher uh they're not him and his brother both struggle with efficiency kind of at like all levels uh, it, it you know it fluctuates quite a bit even though men it's pretty consistent finisher inside the arc um but he's a very controlled finisher uses about like the balance and length like coordination combo along with the athleticism finish through guys at the rim can explode for dunks there's a ton of transition possessions as we've alluded to on this podcast i think oh, ot yes. spends like 30 percent of their games uh are, are transition possessions so gets plenty of opportunity to show that athleticism in the open court he and in the half court he needs very limited space uh and time to load up and be able to leap over players uh defensively like just purely an event creator like he makes very like calculated gambles though he does gamble quite a bit uh he is also a good off-ball defender uh the only like real weakness right now with him is his shooting efficiency on jumpers like he has like lead secondary guard potential in the nba excellent pick and roll craft great vision he can throw like one-handed passes with either hand you can spray out to shooters like you can hit no look passes when he's under the rim and there's somebody like rolling behind him. He can do those wraparound passes that point guards are so good at now. And it, it, they're all accurate. They're all like with crisp passes, like in the shooter's pocket. Um, and I've never seen a young player that puts as much like effort and aggression into defense like every single possession and like just you can tell that they genuinely want to just put the clamps on the guy that they're guarding every single night and this goes for both Amen and asar yeah um i was about to say the idea of the guy might be asar <laughs> right like they <laughs> they say. are they are just absolutely insane defenders and like a six seven pnr commander with like 99th percentile bursts in athleticism like if he, my thing for him, if he is anything close to like a John ja Morant level shooter, which John ja Morant is not a good shooter. He's around 30, like low 30% for every year. I think he's like a 32% shooter uh, for his career. He's going to be able to leverage that burst and first step quicknesses and just collapse defenses. They're going to be in rotation all the time. He can use that size and vision to hit shooters, cutters, lob I th- targets. I think, I think him reaching a John ja Morant level of shooter would actually be a good outcome. Like, oh, I, yeah, absolutely. Like, I think I'd, be, him, I'd be totally fine with that. that he wouldn't, would need, be he like, wouldn't need to be much better than that. Yeah, he is. I mean, obviously, you'd like him to be, but in terms of like your, your percentile outcome, for him to be like a 32, 33% three point shooter in the NBA, I mean, I I think if if you told, if if you could confirm that was going to be the case for like his career average, I think he would be probably in conversations for the number two overall pick. Um, oh absolutely i i think yeah we'll we'll get on to that <laughs> all right let's go let's hear the cons so as i was leading to there the shot is beyond broken 
Um, it is not there. He has some awful, awful misses. It's not just the shooting percentages. It's actually watched all the shots that he takes. Um, shoots a really hard ball, has like a stiff mechanics. Um, and at the same time, the competition level, he's playing in this overtime league. It's it's kind of a bizarre watch, but he's 20 years old. So he's not that, he's young. He's like same age as a lot of sophomores in college. And he's playing against like some 16, 17 year olds. Now they're not all that age, but it is a varied quality in league, a much greater varied. And and like you said earlier, a lot of the players in transition and like in the NBA, it's like 18, half possessions will be in transition. And that's where Amen really, I think, excels is in that transition. And in the half court, I, I really worry about him, um, especially off the ball. If he's playing in Charlotte with Lamella Ball, I do not know what you do with Amen Thompson off the ball because he cannot shoot. He is a, a pure kind of ball-dominant point guard through and through. Um, he's not shown a great deal of cutting ability. I've never really seen him set many screens. Um, he would almost have to learn how to play a new position. So I think it's a real concern with Charlotte. I, I, I think I've seen a lot of mocks being like, oh, Lamelo and Amen, that would be fun. And I'm like, yeah, it'd be fun for watching highlights. I don't know how conducive it is to winning basketball. Um, I, I think he gambles a lot on defense. That's for sure. I didn't think he'll be able to do that as much in the NBA. And he is an extremely loose handle, uh, like similar to Cam Whitmore in this. Ex- extremely turnover prone and again you're playing as NBA level defenses where they're going to be hard hedging against him trapping off like pick and rolls like he's going to be turning the ball over a lot early on so I think he's almost like a project I think he'll take a couple of years to learn the ropes of how to play in the NBA and what his role should be and in the uh, uh, City Reapers which is his team at overtime they played against the Dreamers in the OT finals and they really game-planned against him and kind of introduced a specific system for a man. And he really struggled. Now, he did hit, like, an, a pretty incredible game winner in those finals. But for, like, the most part of the games, he really struggled to have impact when it wasn't in transition. Um, so that that's my biggest question for me. is like, off-ball roll, half-court, how does this guy help you? I think I think he's quite a boom-or-bust guy. Um, I, but I do agree, like, the, the playmaking is so good that like that's what some people said about Lamella. When you got someone with that vision and that passing and that size and athleticism, they're just gonna be impactful, like in the league. It's it's almost guaranteed in some role. So I've got is like my low end comp is like a a Orlando Magic Markel Fultz, where he is a a really good defender, a really good passer, but is essentially a non shooter, and that just limits the ceiling of what he can do. Yeah, that's the thing is I really like a man. Of all the guys we're going to talk about, this is like the least clear fit with the Hornets. Yeah. So it would it would it would hurt if they were at three and they passed on him. Just for me personally, because I'm such a big fan of his game as a prospect. But I I I, I would understand it because you do need a like you need to be able to leverage Lamelo's floor spacing ability by pairing him with other players that can shoot. So you're not taking that space away from him. And right now, Amen would be doing that though of course in the future if you know he improved his shooting that way it could end up being like a great fit because he would be an excellent defender alongside Lamelo, who presumably and that will be like one of his you know lower skills even though he might not end up being a bad defender in his prime that would be a very good fit next to him but if the shooting doesn't come around it would be it would be tough agreed okay 
Asar Thompson, let's finish this up here. Home straight. Um, let's flip the coin for the last time. Um, I've really not won many of these today. Uh, oh, but I have won this one. So let's go. Uh, I'm going to go... I'm going to go good. Okay, I'm going to go good for the other Thompson twin. Um, so I'll, I'll get us going here. Um, first up, let's start where we started with Amen. I think he is the better shooting brother. And even more than that, I think you've seen a lot more progress made over the year uh, in Asar than you did in Amen. Um, and he like even looks for his jump shot a lot more. I mean, he shot the ball really well in the OT finals. I think he hit five threes in one game. He looks to get to spots in the mid-range and elevate, something that Amen very, very rarely does. So I think he's much more scalable, much more versatile to play in probably any role uh, in an NBA team than his brother Amen, which is a, an important place to start. I think he is a, an elite, elite defender. Um, I think Amen is probably like more of a point of attack defender, like kind of like swallows guards up. But Asar is uh, weak side rim protection, active hands from the weak side, um, just has fantastic defensive instincts of where to go, breaks up alley-oop plays. Um, he is really is a like one of the most guys I've enjoyed watching on defense, probably more so than any other player. I, I will say he was like much better earlier in the season, I felt. Um, his His kind of, defensive impact waned down the stretch a little bit and I'm not quite sure why but earlier in the season he was just like a man possessed um and yeah I, I think he's definitely an, an upgrade on amen in that area um he's great in transition gets out runs the leg he makes alley-oops look easy he just floats to the rim would be a great fit for for Lamelo trying to get out in transition and and be able to to be that lob target or get out and fill the lanes elite character kid uh, yeah as is his brother but you know, the, the news that I've kind of seen in the reporting is like he just works super hard. And I think you see the progress there with the shooting. You see that coming through. And interestingly, Amen, who's probably generally thought of as the better prospect between the two, he has actually said that he's always thought Asar was better than him his whole life, uh, which is an interesting thing that I, I haven't heard before. But he, he said that in an interview. Um but yeah, the guy just makes the right play all the time, probably more so than a man. A man probably like forces it a little bit more. Asar is a little bit more reserved and is happy to defer. Uh, and there's probably more of like a two, three skill set. So for my like upside comp, I went for like a Giroud holiday, like more of a two-way player. Maybe not like your on-ball creator as much, but like almost like a, and I know I've said he's more like a three, a two or a three. Drew Holiday obviously plays point guard. A, a wing version of Drew Holiday, if that exists, which which isn't Justin Holiday, because I know that technically exists, but uh, Asar is going to be better than Justin Holiday. Yeah, that's true. It does, uh, the wing version of Drew Holiday is <laughs> quite, quite literally, literally already a person. Yeah, <laughs> <Yes>. like that. He, <laughs> that is a very good point. But the the comparison I do think is 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 pretty accurate. Um, Asar is the sixth ranked player on my board. So out of all of these players, uh, Jairus was the lowest at seven. Asar is six. So I, I argued for my top four and against uh, five, six, and seven, the three lowest players uh, I had. So, I, But again, I, I, Asar is still, I think, going to be a good player. Like he, he'll be, he will be better than Justin Holiday. I, I agree with that. Um, but the, the things that I think that not only separate him from his brother, and it's it, it's tough to not compare them because they're literally twins. They look exactly the same. They play in the exact same team. Um, but he's not as explosive uh, as a man, not quite anyway. He's still a very good athlete. 
Uh, but especially, I think you notice that especially as a ball handler, like a man is able to dribble through crowds kind of, or into crowds and then rise up and finish. Asar is not really that, you know, pop off of the screen rim finisher though. I think he is actually a pretty good, like off ball rim finisher. He makes pretty good cuts. Um, but the other thing is that while his shooting, again, his shooting is a little bit better than his brother, but it's still not good. He had two games this season where he made more than two threes. Uh, he obviously shot much better as the year went on. And like you said, made five threes, but he still is a sub 30% shooter on the season. It's 29.8. Um, there's really just been never been a turn at either of their careers where they shoot well. Uh, and I, Asar, that's I'm actually glad you brought that up because I was just reading this the other day. It was a uh, Mirren Fader's feature on Thompson twins that came out mm-hmm. uh, a while back. I think it was like last December. Um, and he, had, he talked about like a men talked about that. He was like, uh, Asar used was like the scorer uh, of the two and like put up a bunch of points, like, Whatever, on whatever team that they would play on uh, and when they were like younger younger like he was always like the better basketball player and stuff so uh and i, I think that i don't i think that's not gonna last for much longer because i think a man just has that passing ability as well sar is a decent playmaker but not great i think he's like an all defense level wing but might not be a great shooter um, and he's definitely not going to be a like secondary or lead guard potentially uh, in the way that his brother is. He's definitely more of a wing, uh, which while that positional value is obviously any NBA team wants to draft a player like that as high as they can, uh, it does drop him from that, you know, like top tier of players um, not having that on ball threat uh, and ability and being more of like a third option type of player than a top two. Yeah, I I think what you've raised there are all fair points. Um, I mean, the big thing with Asar, you'll probably see it a hundred times in build up the draft is like his his. I think he's like a shooting a terrible percentage on layups. And again, there are some half court concerns. I will say with the three point percentage, I think they are like similar ish in percentage. But Amen is taking wide wide open. Osar is like searching for a shot. There's a different variety of shot quality there and, and difficulty as well so um but yeah i, I i'm really torn like it's annoying because you don't want to just rank the thompson twins next to each other in your rankings because they are the same you know have to say the same name but i really do struggle to separate them because i think the bigger upside player is a man um i think the higher floor and much more versatile scalable player is asar and in the draft, normally, I probably lean towards the amen side, especially if I'm like a rebuilding team, because you, let's just go all out here. Let's try and get your your guy who can just table set for everybody. Uh, but for the Hornets specifically, I just wonder if Asar is just a much easier fit with Charlotte. But then you get into this dangerous territory of fit over talent, and you need to, you need to be really sure here Um that you're not making a mistake that you look back on and go, Oh, well we picked that because of this. And that just looks, you know, stupid years on. So, uh, but no, I think good debate on both Thompson twins. And um, I'm, I'm, look, I'm happy you got to debate the guys you wanted to debate. <laughs> um, I, I got to debate my Brandon Miller. So I was I'll happy with that one. Hey, this, this definitely worked out for both of us. So I'm glad that the, the, co- the coin was in our favor today. We got to keep using this. The same uh, coin flip 
sound effect that we're using here. Absolutely. Well, with that, we've run a little bit long. Thank you very much for listening. Hopefully you enjoyed the show. Um, let us know what you guys think. If you got any thoughts on Twitter, hit me and chase up or hit us up on all Hornets website and we will chat to you soon. Thanks everyone.